0: Hi, this is Maureen Ametsky. I'm a pediatric emergency medicine doctor and co-chair of the JOMA Preventive Health Committee. Um, I've, here with me today, I have Dr. Ellie Carmody. She is an infectious disease specialist at NYU Langone Health and at Bellevue Hospital in New York City. We're here to talk about the 2019 coronavirus um, outbreak or COVID-19. I just want to let everybody know, today is February 28th, 2020. And everything we're going to talk about today is up to date as far as we know it as of today. Um, But the situation is rapidly changing and evolving. So if you're listening to this podcast or recording at a later date, please check back and make sure that you're getting the most up-to-date information. We're going to try to keep updating as things evolve. Okay, so here we go. Dr. Carmody, thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Thank you for for the invitation. I'm happy to speak.
0: So I guess the first question on everybody's mind is, what exactly is COVID-19?
1: So COVID-19 is a new coronavirus. A coronavirus um, in general, it's it's a large family of viruses. They're very common. Uh, They're common in animals and in humans. Most coronaviruses in humans cause the human cold, the common cold. Um, But this coronavirus is something new. Uh, We do believe that the origin of this virus was in bats and that it has become transmitted to humans and now circulating among uh, the, the global population other coronaviruses have also been uh, quite serious in our history. So there's the, the MERS virus, which is the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, and the SARS virus, uh, which is the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. It looks like this virus is more similar to SARS genetically than MERS. Um, but I think, you know, we're seeing this, this virus evolve and all of the, the characteristics of this virus are, are continuing to, to vo- evolve and we're continuing to learn about it.
0: So what kind of virus is it, what what does it cause and how is it spread?
1: So right now, what we know about the spread of of COVID-19 is that it's spread by by droplets. Um, So essentially it's spread from people coughing or sneezing uh, and it also seems to be spread on surfaces. So let me just give you an example. So a person would cough, uh, they uh, cough into their hands, and then their hand touches a desk, and then another person comes and touches that desk a couple of seconds later, there is a risk of transmitting from the surface. If somebody coughs into their hands, then shakes one, another person's hand, and then that person touches their face or their eyes, again, that's a risk of transmission. So it's, it's mainly through cough. Uh, and it's it's these small droplets that that come onto people's hands, and people who come into contact with these droplets touch their eyes, their nose, their mouth, then those droplets enter the body uh, and people can can acquire the virus in that manner. Uh, in terms of symptoms, you know the the virus appears that it's producing a very broad range of symptoms. So some people are not exhibiting, Symptoms at all with this infection, meaning they're not getting, uh, they don't appear ill, but we know that they're infected, and we know now that even people who are not showing any signs of being sick are transmitting the infection again from person to person. At the other range of the spectrum are people who are getting critically ill, and people who are getting critically ill are are basically coming in uh, with significant cough, pneumonia. Fevers uh, and are then uh, developing uh, critical illness from from this from the pneumonia. Um, from the epidemiologic data that we have thus far coming out of China, what we're seeing is about that 80% of these infections are mild. So I think that that's somewhat reassuring. Um, around 20% have been shown to be to be serious. So you know, again, but but 80% are. Are thus far mild. Um, there's, a, there's a broad range of, uh, there are significant differences in terms of people's susceptibility to severe illness. Uh, what we're seeing is that there's a higher rate of severe illness in older people, uh, and mortality rates or death rates among people who are um, in their 70s and 80s are much, much higher. Um, than death rates for younger people in their 30s 20s and uh, under 20. Um, if I could be a little bit more specific um, the the death rates that have been seen for people who are over 80 are around 15 uh, whereas the death rates from for people in their 30s are around 2.2 percent And there are actually the risk associated with being under 10 for mortality is actually zero. So there are very, very few fatalities known in kids who are under zero, who are under 10.
0: So I just want to kind of clarify the numbers for some people who don't necessarily like to think in percents to sort of make it a little more concrete. So when you're saying Uh 80% of patients who get um, the COVID-19 will have mild symptoms, so basically if 100 people got sick. Eighty of them would really have a mild illness, and twenty might have a more severe illness. And if, that's correct. And in terms of mortality rate, so among the general population of every hundred who get who gets sick, two would the mort- a mortality rate of two percent means that two out of every hundred may die. Um, for the for elderly people who get sick, that number has been a lot higher, more like ten to fifteen percent. But for young, healthy people, that number is actually a little lower, maybe a little less than 1%. So like less than one out of 100 people. Is that about right?
1: Yeah, that's about right. Okay.
0: And Um, I think what's reassuring is that the kids seem to be all right. Yeah, that is unlike other respiratory illnesses that we see every year that that seem to be a little more severe in children. In this case, so far from the data we have, it seems like kids actually tend to have a more mild illness.
1: Mm -hmm. That's correct.
0: So the next question I have is, so, you know, as an ER doctor, we see respiratory illnesses every year and we've seen coronaviruses every year. So what is different about this coronavirus that has everybody worried versus all the other coronaviruses that we've seen? Because this is part of a family of viruses that's been in existence for a long time. It's just a new member of the family.
1: I think what is concerning for people, um, two things. Um, really, the, the increased deaths from this virus are, you know, they're much closer to what we saw in the, in the uh, 1918 epidemic of flu, um, where the mortality for that infection was around 2%. If this mortality is truly 2%, uh, that's, that's a pretty high death rate from a virus. You know the average coronavirus just causes the common cold um, and is really not associated with any significant mortality risk. So I, I think that's what happens, and that's why people are concerned. The other thing is that uh, you know what what is I think concerning about this virus uh, overall is that it does seem to be very, very transmissible, um, certainly not as easy to transmit as or, or spread as measles, um, but similar to the flu. So we know that seasonal flu um, really affects the entire globe, and it looks like this is going to affect the entire globe as well, similar to flu. It's just that it has a much higher death rate than our regular seasonal flu. So just to give you some numbers, um, the seasonal flu, uh, usually the the death rates are around 0.1%. That means one out of a thousand people uh, from flu would die every year um but for for coronavirus uh, uh for covid nineteen it's it's again looking like more something more akin to two percent, so meaning like two out of a hundred rather than two out of a thousand or one out of a thousand will die every year with us will die this year
0: and and unlike the flu, we don't at this point have any vaccine to protect against corona against covid nineteen
1: No, we don't
0: um you know i I would
1: like to say though that um the the efforts at vaccine production are uh have been um really dramatic i mean i think within the first three months of this virus we have actually uh there have been companies that have produced uh vaccine candidates and the uh those will enter in clinical trials in april um at the at the uh, national institutes for health um so ideally we will have a vaccine within a year but a year is, is a long time uh, and a lot can happen within that year.
0: In the interim so for so you know while we're hoping and waiting for a vaccine um, for flu we have medications like Tamiflu or Zafluza which you know work to some degree for some people is there anything that we have at this point for COVID-19
1: we don't have any medications that have been proven to be effective at this point in clinical trials, meaning so not rigorously tested. Um, what we are doing at this point is using medications that we already have that we know in animal studies and in uh, sort of uh, in laboratory studies have shown to be effective in, um, in, this, in, in combating this virus. So for example, we're using a couple of HIV medications um, that actually have activity against this virus. We're using an anti-malarial medication that we know has activity against this virus. But again, these haven't been tested uh, in clinical trials. Uh, So we're not quite sure the level of effectiveness of these agents. There is a a new agent um, that is being, um, they're having uh, clinical trials for this agent, it's called Remdesivir. And that is happening, those, are, those trials are happening in, in China. And there is one that's going to be starting in March. So in the ideal, situa- in the ideal situation, this will work, and uh, we'll be able to give it to everybody who has coronavirus, and we'll be able to eliminate the the epidemic. Um, you know, but in a in a worst case scenario, it really doesn't have activity, uh, and then we have to go back to the drawing board and uh, look for other types of medications that will will make work for this. Um, and if that's the case, if we really don't have um, uh, a medication to treat this, then I I wouldn't see uh, expect to see changes in the mortality,
0: so than just, what we know now. So I just want to clarify for some people who sort of might not understand why we can't use you know we have all these antibiotics what is the difference between, you know, all the medications that we have to treat other things and being able to treat a virus with the medication?
1: Yeah, so this, because
0: it is a virus, that means it's different than a bacteria.
1: So antibiotics or antibacterials, more specifically, are used to treat bacterial infections. Some of the most common bacteria that people may be familiar with are something like uh, Streptococcus pneumonia or pneumonia or Staph aureus or MRSA, these types of bacteria can be treated with pills that we know work against bacteria. But this is a virus, so it's different. Antibacterial medications won't work against a virus, so we need to go and develop an antiviral medication, which we have much many fewer options for antiviral.
0: Okay. And then How do we know? So let's say if someone has, you know, respiratory symptoms, how do they know if it's, you know, COVID-19 or flu or some other infection or in one of the regular coronaviruses that have been around for a Mm -hmm. while? Um, how do we know that we actually have COVID-19?
1: So I think that it's hard. It's definitely hard to know unless you're tested. Um, and right now, I would say, still within the United States, the the, the likelihood that you had COVID-19 is low. Um, that again may change in the in the coming weeks to months. Um, you're more likely at this point to have flu or to have a regular coronavirus or some other sort of wintertime virus. Um, but I think the way in which we differentiate. Um, COVID-19 is by uh, diagnostic testing. So somebody who is very sick, meaning that somebody who has um, shortness of breath, who has uh, a lot of cough, who has fever, all of those things together, who comes into an emergency room, um, may be offered testing. So what usually what we do is we test somebody for flu first, because that's more likely. We test somebody for other viruses first, because those are more likely. And then we send um, a test for COVID-19. The issue with testing for COVID-19 is that all the tests at this point need to be sent to the CDC. So you're not going to get an immediate answer. You're going to get an answer within 72 hours. So if, if people want to, you know, there's no way to, to rapidly know whether somebody has COVID-19 or not. And what I would recommend would be, you know, if you're feeling sick, sort of mildly ill, stay at home. Um, if if you're feeling mildly sick or even moderately sick, call your doctor to know what the next uh, best course of action would be. And only if you're feeling very sick, call EMS and then be taken to an emergency room where you can be evaluated. But the but really what we wanna avoid is people who are very mildly ill who are going into emergency rooms um, and sort of overwhelming uh, the, the healthcare system at a time where we need to be very careful um, about uh, uh, making sure that we can appropriately care for people who come in with COVID nineteen and serious infections.
0: I do want to stress the importance of that. So I'm a pediatric ER doctor, and I would say that you know all of the emergency rooms I've worked in. You know your your waiting room is a limited space, and if you have a lot of people coming in, it can get pretty crowded. So if you are mildly ill, you may be more at risk from other people while sitting in the waiting room or putting other people at risk in the waiting room, then if you would just stay home and call your doctor and your doctor could tell you, you know, where to, if you need to be tested, where to go to get tested, or if there's a way that someone could come to you to test and to help direct you, where's the best place to go for care? Do you, should you come to the office to see the doctor or should you go to urgent care or should you actually be seen in an emergency room because you sound pretty sick? So your doctor or your, you know, your main healthcare provider is, should really be your first contact point here. And should, in general, be your first contact point when you're not feeling well. Absolutely. That isn't to say that if you are feeling severely ill, definitely do call EMS and come get help. We are happy to help you. Um, But we Uh, we don't want you to put yourself at unnecessary risk if you don't actually need immediate help. So, everybody's really worried about getting Covid nineteen, but is there anything we can do to protect ourselves from contracting virus?
1: Yeah, I think we can we can do in order to prevent Covid nineteen, I think we need to take measures that are similar to what we we measures for for any respiratory virus. Um, and I, those are the following. I think washing your hands often uh, with soap and water. For at least 20 seconds is perhaps the most important thing we can do. Um, if soap and water are not available, you can use an alcohol based hand sanitizer. But hand washing technique is actually quite important. And uh, it's important to wash all of your hands, the back, the front, in between the webs of the fingers, uh, and to do that for the duration of time it takes, happy birth to take to sing happy birthday twice. Um, and the same thing with a hand sanitizer. Make sure that you actually use the hand sanitizer to uh, on, on not only the palm, but on the backs of the hands and in between the fingers. The second thing is, that's very important is to avoid touching your eyes and your nose and your mouth with, and with unwashed hands. This is really a, a, a risk for acquiring a respiratory virus like COVID-19, so if you touch a surface That has coronavirus on it, or you shake somebody's hand that has coronavirus. Again, you're really at risk if you touch your face, your eyes, your mucous membranes, as we call them. um, You're you're at risk for acquiring that infection. So just avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Avoid close contact with anyone who has um, an illness. It's perfectly acceptable if you're next to somebody who's coughing, to move away from that person. Try to get six feet of distance between yourself and that other person who may be coughing, may be sneezing, or just looks unwell. Um, Again, at at times like this, I think people all know, um, and I think that it's perfectly socially acceptable to move away from someone who's sick. In terms of—
0: That's not to say um, that, you know, to abandon people who need care, just you don't have to stand super close to everybody. Mm -hmm right exactly
1: so i mean you know on the subway if you see somebody who's coughing try to move away from that person on the subway who's coughing right um and i think you know what we're recommending as well is to to ensure that you have uh for frequently touched surfaces so for example a desk that may be shared by many people at work maybe try to disinfect just use a a disinfectant wipe or a, a Uh, another type of, uh, just to clean the surface, that's very frequently touched. Um, That's another recommendation that's out there. Um, And then in terms of um, preventing spread to other people, if you have a respiratory virus, um, we we recommend sort of what's called respiratory etiquette. And that is to cover your cough or sneeze with um, your your sleeve, so cough into your elbow. or you can tease into a tissue and then throw the tissue in the trash immediately. It's important if you cough into a tissue, then you've got to wash your hands afterwards. Um, so again, hand washing, respiratory etiquette, and avoiding people who are sick. If you're sick yourself, you really should be staying home. You should be avoiding contact with other people.
0: So don't go to work and don't go to school if you're sick. Exactly. And this, this this is not just specific to COVID nineteen. These are precautions we should really take all the time for all of the wintertime respiratory illnesses. But it's even more important to be vigilant now, so that we could help prevent the worsening spread of COVID nineteen.
1: Right, and I, you know, in terms of kids, uh, you know, I know that um, our, our the school where my kids go, it's uh, they're very strict about the policy that. Um, after, if you have a fever, you shouldn't return to school for 24 hours after the fever breaks. So it, the same, it really should be that way with other, uh, you know, school age kids as well. They, they really shouldn't return to school until they're well.
0: And are there specific precautions we should take at this point for COVID-19 versus the regular respiratory virus illnesses?
1: Well, right now, the specific measures for COVID-19 have to do with travel. So um, currently uh, the CDC is recommending uh, that there, you know, there, there's widespread or sustained, what we call wide sustained community transmission in the following five countries. China, Iran, Italy, Japan, and South Korea. So really people um, should not, in my opinion, travel to any of those countries. So there's a, you know, there's a significant, there's a high-level warning for travel to those countries. Um, Also, if people go to those countries and come back, um, it would be appropriate and socially responsible to um, not go to work or not attend school for the 14 days after disembarkment. So, you know, although the CDC advisory right now is only for China in that uh, regard, that people coming from China have to be quarantined for 14 days, the uh, I my impression is that that warning will expand to the other countries as well. So again, Iran, Italy, Japan, and South Korea. So um if you travel to those countries, really try to stay home after you return for fourteen days.
0: And try not to travel if you don't absolutely have to to begin with.
1: Absolutely. I mean, unless you know unless travel is essential, um again, where there's right now to China it's absolutely. Uh, it's not not recommended to travel to China, but I think you know to Italy also. I mean, I really would not travel to Italy at this point.
0: And th- those recommendations may change as the geographic pattern of this virus changes. So it is important to check on the CDC website or your local um, department of health to see if there are any updates while you're planning your trips or your travels.
1: Right. It's a very very fluid situation. We expect that it will expand. Uh, throughout Europe, pretty quickly, um, and to other areas of Asia, so uh, it's it's really really a fluid situation. You really have to keep on checking um, these these various uh, websites and and uh, and other sort of news outlets in order to know where not to travel.
0: And then, if you do travel, um, you should be prepared for the fact that you may have some trouble getting home if those travel restrictions change. So, kind of keep that in mind to when planning your trip and when packing that you may need supplies for a longer stay than you were originally planning for.
1: Right. And I think, you know, as we enter into what's really seen as a pandemic phase of this virus, uh, it's, it's important to mentally prepare for, um, for what may happen. Um, What we may see in the weeks to, to months to come are, you know, what are called social distancing strategies for, for epidemic mitigation. So, in, in common terms, that's you know school closures, um, uh, transportation closures or or stoppages. Um, and there may be, uh, I, I'm what we're hoping will not be the case, but there may be some localized food shortages. Um, and I think that it's really important to have a plan uh, in case we are sort of we experiencing these sort of social distancing um, measures so a few of the things that people can do um, and, and what's recommended in terms of preparation at this point ensure that all of your regular medications you, that you have them now and that you have at least a month's supply of those medications um, and for your kids make sure you have a month supply of diapers make sure if you have babies um, make sure that you have a month's supply of food, and again, this is dry goods, not not fresh, you know, fruits and vegetables necessarily, because those you should try to buy at the last minute. But stock up on dry goods um, and other sort of less perishable items. Um, and then, I think it's important also to to have some plans what you'll do at work and um, and for childcare. So. Um, if you become ill, you're you you need going to need somebody to take care of your children and think about who that should be. Um, if you're going to need to take care of an elderly relative, again, think about who may need to care for your children at that point. Um, if your kids need to miss school um, and you have two parents who work, uh, you're going to have to have a contingency plan for who's going to need to stay home. Um, and or if you have a child care provider that can't come in, you may need to to arrange a backup. Um, If at at your work or your business, uh, it's important to sort of cross train your people in terms uh, because if a lot of people become sick, you may have a lot of absenteeism and you're going to need to to get by with fewer workers. Um, So cross training people at at your work um, is very important at this point. Um, and then finally, you know, just be, expect that sort of social events, uh, you know, um, sort of large scale gatherings will be canceled, business conferences, sporting events, um, other social gatherings, hopefully not weddings, but you know, if there's a chance, um, and, you know, that these things may be canceled or postponed, so, so just be aware of that
0: would you say that this is sort of similar to how one might prepare for, you know, bad weather coming up? Like if you heard there was going to be two feet of snow on the ground for the next week, you might sort of have contingency plans in place and make sure you had enough food and medications at home in case you couldn't get through the roads. Would this sort of be a similar mindset to have?
1: I think so. I think that that could be applicable.
0: And then on the flip side of that, what would you, so we don't, Really want there, so we saw what happened in Milan, where there was a somewhat of a panic and kind of a run on the grocery stores. How do we mm-hmm. avoid that here? I think that
1: right now we have time. So you know, if you go and you buy a couple boxes extra of cereal uh, now, uh, you know, you're not hoarding the food; you're just buying a little bit extra. There's there's time in order for us to prepare have all those foods stored now and then uh, you'll you'll we'll have enough time so that at the last minute you know when there is widespread community transmission it, you know hopefully that won't occur but we're we want to be prepared if it will be um, then we won't have those run on the stores so just just stock up now
0: okay. and then how would you so one of some other things that people might have heard that they should do to sort of help protect themselves are wearing masks. Can you sort of talk mm-hmm. about, you know, people have heard about surgical masks, N95 masks, what those mean, and whether everybody needs to go run out and buy them. If they even can <laughs> run out and buy them, we've all seen, you know, they're selling for a thousand dollars on Amazon now. Mm-hmm. Right. Um,
1: at the moment, uh, you know, we feel that um, it's not appropriate for, for people to wear the surgical face mask to protect themselves. Um, the mask are, um, it's, it's very debatable whether these masks are effective or not because, again, they, they're they not uh, air fit to the face. They have—they um, do allow transmission of very uh, small or entry of small particles um, under the mask. The other problem with the mask is that people are constantly touching the mask and are uh, adjusting them so they're getting
0: very close to their eyes when they're doing it and they're actually getting uh, virus into their eyes. So, you're um, talking about the, I just want to clarify for people, those are like the surgical masks, those, you know, usually yeah. the light blue or the white rectangles with the straps that go around your ears. Right, exactly.
1: Um, and the other thing to, to know about masks is that, yes, there is a shortage and we really want to preserve those masks, um, any masks um, for patients with COVID-19, um, meaning that um, if Patients with COVID-19 should be wearing a surgical mask to sort of limit the amount of droplets they're sort of spreading out. Um, And then we want to have reserve um, those masks for healthcare workers. For healthcare workers, what's currently being recommended is the, the, as you mentioned, the N95 mask. Those masks are really sort of air fit to the the face and do prevent transmission or or acquisition of um, very small particles um, through the mask. So um, those are um, currently really, we're trying to reserve those for healthcare workers for their protection. So we really don't recommend that, you, that uh, people go out and buy uh, either N95 or surgical masks. Um, if you're sick, you'll be provided with a mask by your healthcare provider. Um, and if you're, the exception would be if you're a healthcare worker, you know you should be able to have those at work, uh, but don't, don't hoard them and take them home.
0: And those N90 fast, N95 masks are those round ones that you see or those duckbill-shaped masks. And for those yes. you know, as healthcare workers, we are fitted for them when we start working at a place. So we make sure that the mask actually fits securely to the face and has the right size. And it has to be fitted specifically to the person in order for it to be effective. So that's another right. why just buying one in the store might not do what you think it's going to do for you. Exactly. So then, another thing I wanted to ask about is, you know, we, we tell everybody every year get your flu shot, and we've heard the CDC and healthcare professionals, you know, recommend, you know, because of COVID nineteen, it's even more important to get your flu shot. Can you kind of comment on why that would be the case if the flu shot doesn't actually prevent COVID nineteen?
1: Right. Um, I think there are a couple of things. Um, first is that you know, yes, it's not too late to get your flu shot, so please do. Um, it's we want people to get flu shots because um if you get your flu shots there is a less l- lower likelihood that you will get flu um and that you will um then if you if you don't get flu you won't there's a lower chance that you'll get sick and come to an emergency room uh and need health care um then and then then you're sort of reserving resources for the for an epidemic of COVID-19. Um on a personal level, you' if you get a flu shot, you know there's there's some theoretical risk of getting both infections, and if you you really don't want to have both infections at the same time. So um, you could be you could be at increased risk for uh, you know severe flu um, if you get two infections at the same time.
0: So what you were saying is, if you don't get a flu, sh- flu shot, you could be at risk of getting both infections at the same time. So get a flu shot so that at least you have less to worry about in terms of catching the flu.
1: Right, yes.
0: OK. Um, so then I guess just a couple of last questions. Are there certain groups who may be more at risk than others and may have to take extra precautions if we do see you know, pandemic levels of COVID-19 here in the United States?
1: I think that uh, older people, and I guess I would use over 60, um, would, I think that those people, because they're at more risk of serious disease, uh, they should, you know, perhaps distance themselves from other people um, more so than younger people. You know, for somebody who's over 80, um, again, the death rate from this is is high, so around 15%. Um, So I think that those people really do need to take social distancing precautions. Other people who may need to take um, enhanced precautions would be people who have what are called immunocompromising conditions. So if their immune system doesn't work uh, normally, those people can be uh, people who take medications for illnesses like autoimmune disease, and that the, those uh, medications may lower their immuno, immunologic defenses, those people may be more at more serious risk than um, than others, and may need to take sort of more social distancing measures. Um, same thing with pregnant women. We don't know how this virus is behaving in pregnant women as of yet, um, but if it's like SARS or MERS, it could be that that women are more like pregnant women are more likely to have severe disease. Um, and then smokers, you know, if you smoke, I recommend stopping now. Um, the the mortality, um, which is very high in Chinese men who are older and are smokers, it, it may be related to um, to some degree with the the level of smoking and the damage, the ongoing damage to the lungs from, from smoking that makes the lungs less um, capable of recovering or or, um, uh, or more susceptible to damage from the coronavirus. So stop smoking
0: always good advice and then what about so what about other chronic medical conditions do we know anything about that at this point
1: absolutely yeah so i should have mentioned that so people who have um not only so another sort of um immunologically uh, uh predisposing factor would be something like diabetes so people who have diabetes um also don't have a, a normal immune system So that's considered a a sort of a chronic medical condition. Um, People with heart disease, I I think all of these sort of illnesses that people get as they get older, um, are um, people may need to take enhanced precautions if they have these concurrent illnesses. Diseases such as cancer also um, can affect people's immunologic conditions. So uh, that would be another uh, illness and things like respiratory. Uh, sort of diseases like asthma. All of these things may put people at significant or or more an elevated risk for a serious disease, um, and those people may need to take enhanced precautions in in if we see uh, pandemic levels of circulating coronavirus here in in the United States.
0: So all of this information is constantly evolving. Where should people go for updates? And we're going to try to update this hotline and this podcast as well. Um, But in the interim, where should people go for the most up-to-date information about what they should do and how they should protect themselves?
1: I think that perhaps the best um, websites would be the CDC website, so cdc.gov. The WHO website um, also is helpful. And um, your local Department of Health um, may also have a website up for coronavirus. So for example, in New York, um, the New York City Department of Health, which is uh, www.nyc.gov, uh, their front page is on coronavirus, and you can click into the front page um, and find all of the information about c- coronavirus that, that is there.
0: So again, that www1.nyc.gov. the New York City Department of Health and the CDC.gov for the Center for Disease Control and the WHO website. That's the World Health Organization, or it's abbreviated WHO. And I believe that uh, website is www.who.int. That's correct. And so thank you so much. This has been a lot of great information. Is there any kind of take-home point that take-home points that you want to give our audience? Uh,
1: My take-home point would be it's not time to panic, but it's time to prepare. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, thinking about the, the worst possible case scenario and the best, case possible, best possible case scenario and preparing for both. Um, getting, getting your contingency plans in place um, and expecting there to be uh, uh, some level of social disruption in your lives.
0: So sort of basically hoping for the best, preparing for the worst, And
1: yeah, that's, that's probably a much more succinct way of saying, it. and that's great, thank you.
0: And we can all hope that you know this we'll have our vaccines, we'll have our medications, and that you know with Hashem's help, this won't be as bad as we are afraid it might be, but in the meantime, don't panic, be prepared, and wash your hands.
1: Absolutely, perfect advice.
0: Right. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you speaking with us today.
1: Oh, I really appreciate having the opportunity to
0: speak. And, and thank you for all of the work that you're doing with JOMA. Thank you.